As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, do want to let you know, parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles of a new resource that is available to you. We'll be talking more about this in the weeks to come, but we're calling it Above the Line at Home. And what we're trying to do is really help equip parents with ways to teach your children, grandchildren, uh, in the ways of the Lord. Studies show that if you just bring your children to church, that there's a good chance that whenever they get older, they'll quit going to church. But if you bring your children to church and also teach them and model for them the ways of the Lord in the home, then there's a good chance that whenever they get older, they'll continue to walk in the faith. And so we're going to have various resources available for you to help you in bringing faith into the home. Here's one real simple one here. 52 fun fun family dinner questions. Sometimes you ask your kids, well, how did your day go? And you get a fine, good, you know. Well, these are some questions that you can ask to kind of open them up and start discussions so that you can begin talking as a family. So grab one of these. They're available throughout the church, and we'll have more resources coming in the weeks ahead. Let me ask you a question. Are you a leader? Are you a leader? The answer to that question is yes. Now, not everyone leads an organization. Not everyone builds a company, but everyone is a leader. Why? Because leadership is ultimately about influencing people, and everybody influences other people. So when a parent goes into that bedroom and you pray with your children, you're a leader there because you are influencing people. Whenever a teacher stands in the classroom and describes the math concept of the day, you are a leader because in that moment you are influencing people. When you share your art or you share a thought or your experience on social media, you may not realize it, but you are being a leader because you are trying to influence people. Good or bad, large or small, introvert or extrovert, you're a leader. You influence people. Nobody in this room is named Gilligan. If you are, I apologize, but messes up my illustration. Nobody is an island unto themselves. We are all connected to other people, and because of that, we have influence on other people. And that influence is leadership. Are you a good leader? Are you a bad leader? Now, we live in a world where there are 280 character tweets and five-second sound bites. And so we are taught that leaders must be loud, that leaders must be forceful and supremely confident. We are, thought to, we are taught to elevate pride over faith, authority over love, rules over grace. Those are the models of leadership that we are exposed to. But today, we're going to see a different kind of leader. We're going to take some leadership lessons from the greatest leader of all time, none other than our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, and see how He went about influencing people. Now, the lesson begins with a conflict event. Now, one of the things about conflict events is the conflict is usually not the real problem. Usually, conflict that we experience in life is a symptom of the real issue. And so here we see in our passage today that there was conflict over the Sabbath, but that really dug deeper to the real issue. 
So look with me, Luke chapter 14, verse 1. One Sabbath, when he went to eat at the house of one of the leading Pharisees, they were watching him closely. There in front of him was a man whose body was swollen with fluid. In response, Jesus asked the law experts and the Pharisees, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent, and he took the man and healed him and sent him away. And to them he said, which of, which of you whose son or ox falls into a well will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And to this they could find no answer. Now the word Sabbath means rest. And you find this coming up over and over again through the Gospel of Luke. The Sabbath was an idea given by God to His people uh, all the way back at Mount Sinai with Moses. And the idea was that one day a week we would unplug from work in order to plug into God. And we would, we would use that day to refresh our bodies. We would connect with God. We would connect with God's people. It would be a recharging day. It was also a day that would build your faith because you had to have enough faith, particularly in an agrarian economy, that you could go without working one day to trust God to provide for you. The Sabbath also pointed to Jesus because it pointed with anticipation to the day when God would send His Messiah and through Jesus, the Son of God, we would find the ultimate spiritual rest. So the, the Sabbath ultimately pointed to what Jesus was going to do in the New Testament. But the Pharisees had turned the Sabbath into a drudgery. They had added all sorts of rules and regulations so that instead of anticipating the Sabbath day, looking forward to it within the culture, it had become a real pain. And so they were trying to trick Jesus. They invited this suffering man. He probably had some type of kidney or heart disease, perhaps a liver disease, but it caused his tissues, his bodily tissues, to fill with fluid, and no doubt it was quite painful, and this kind of man would normally not be invited to this type of dinner. He wasn't the kind of person that you put on the invitation list. But the Pharisees knew something. They knew that hurting people moved Jesus to compassion. And you know what? That's still true today. Hurting people move Jesus to compassion. And some of you may have come here today and you're hurting, perhaps physically, emotionally, spiritually. And I want you to know that hurting people move our Lord to compassion. So Jesus begins to ask the Pharisees a question. Here it is. Is it okay for me to heal this man who obviously is in need is it okay for him, me to heal him on the Sabbath day? And they kept silent. Now, their silence was actually their way of saying, no, it's not okay for you to heal this guy on the Sabbath day. So what does Jesus do? He heals him anyway. And then the man leaves, and no doubt rejoicing that he had been healed. And then Jesus points out their hypocrisy. He says to them, look, if your ox fell into a well, you would be willing to help the animal get out of the well on the Sabbath day. If your child, someone that you love, someone that matters to you, fell into the well, you would be willing to help them. 
But because this man is not like you in your mind, even though he is made in the image of God, you will not help him because you've got rules. And we can't do this on the Sabbath day. You care more about your animals than you do people. He points out the very nature of their hypocrisy. You see, the Pharisees had power. The Pharisees had authority. But the Pharisees were not leaders. The Pharisees were spiritual hall monitors. They ran around, you know, they had the pocket protector, and they ran around, and they threw flags, and they called fouls, and anybody that broke the rules, they, they pointed out. They were self-appointed guardians of the rules. They were not leaders of people. They weren't ministers. You know what? One of the things we have to realize in life, there will always be hall monitors. There will always be people that think their job in life is simply to make you behave. But that's what they're supposed to do. They'll always complain, they'll always gripe, they'll always be some type of problem, and it'll usually involve people. And there will also always be rebels, those people that think their job in life is to break the rules, you know. And there'll always be rebels out there. Jesus wasn't a hall monitor, nor was he a rebel. Jesus was a humble leader. He genuinely cared about people. He also knew something. He knew that every rule tells a story. Rules tell the story of what has been. You want to understand an organization? Look at its rules. When you start looking at the rules of an organization, you can begin to see, okay, this is where this organization has been. And Jesus knew their rules better than they did. But unlike the Pharisees, Jesus didn't just see the rules of the Sabbath. Jesus saw the reason for the Sabbath. You see, Jesus understood something about the Sabbath. He understood that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It wasn't just about enforcing the rules so we could polish our good behavior. Jesus understood that the Sabbath was given for spiritual reasons so that people could connect to God and anticipate about what God was going to do. Poor leaders mistake symptoms for disease. Great leaders understand that you have to dig deep to discover why things are the way that they are. And so I want to give you leadership lesson number one today, and that is that before leading people to what can be, you must first understand what is. Before talking about tomorrow and where we're headed, you first of all have to understand where we are. Anyone can throw on some Beatles music and imagine. Imagine all. You know, anybody can do that. You can dream vision. And if you read a lot of leadership books, they're always talking about vision, 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 vision. And vision, vision is real. You need to have a vision for where things are going. But you also need to have an understanding of where you are. Because if you don't, if you don't have an understanding of the present, you can't see clearly to lead into the future. And so Jesus understood the people, and he understood the reality of what was, and he didn't fall for the rules. He understood the intent behind it. Well, he continues in verse 7. He told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they would choose the best places for themselves. And so here's what he said. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, don't recline at the best place because a more distinguished person than you 
may have been invited by your host. The one who invited both of you may come and say to you, give, me your, give your place to this man, and then in humiliation you will proceed to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and recline in the lowest place, so that when the one who invited you comes, he will say to you, friend, move up higher. You will then be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now the scene is a formal dinner. You ever been to a formal dinner? Well, you can guarantee that there'll be two things at a formal dinner. Lots of silverware and cheesecake. There's always cheesecake at formal dinners. Have you ever noticed that? Well, let me give you some Pastor Lash's tips to surviving your next formal dinner. All right? The first thing is, wait till everybody has been served before you eat, okay? Wait till everybody at your table has been served before you pick up your fork and you begin to eat. Now, there's an exception to that, and that if it, that's if it's a formal buffet. Formal buffets, I'm just trying to help you, okay? Secondly, start with the outside fork and work your way in, right? That's the secret to all that. Which fork do I use? You start with the outside one and you work your way in. And here's the third Pastor Lash's tip to surviving formal dinners. Table one is where all the big shots are, okay? Know that. If you're sitting at table one or if you see table one, that's where, all the, that's where the president of the company, that's where the leaders are there at table number one. Well, in Jewish society, when they would have a wedding banquet, it was a large feast. It was a community event. Now, this was before Epson invented the printer, and so they didn't have those little name tags to tell everybody where they were supposed to sit. And so everybody, when the doors to the banquet hall would open, everybody would just kind of come in and find a seat. And there was usually a rush to get close to table number one. Why? Because if you could get close to table number one, it would be good for your social status. You could do selfies and show everybody that you're at table number one, that you're close to the important people. So this was a big deal. We want to get close to the big, to the host, close to the host, so that we could have the most. Now, in the illustration that Jesus uses here, you have run through the door, you have knocked down three little kids, you nearly knocked over the wedding cake, but you managed to get at table number one. You're introducing yourself, you're passing out cards, you're networking, you're building your image, everybody's looking at you sitting at table number one, and you're pretty proud of yourself because you have arrived. And then the host of the entire event comes up and says, you're in my wife's seat. You need to move. So humiliated, you have to get up. And then you look around and you realize that all the other seats have been filled. So instead of sitting at table number one, you're going to be sitting at table 101. You know the one back by the bathrooms? And so you're going to have to do the walk of shame and go all the way back there and take your place at the back of the room. Now you see this scene in every workplace. People jockeying for position, saying things about other people, fighting for the place at table number one. You see it at school. People taking angles. 
people trying to get the right people to be their friends because you're building an image so that people will see you as popular. People will want you to be around them. You see it in groups of friends where people manipulate friendships in order to try to get the position that they want. I call it the fight for a seat at table number one. But look at what Jesus said at the end of this section. Verse 11, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's say that passage of Scripture together on the count of three, a one and a two and a three. For everyone who exalts, let me hear you, self will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You need to highlight that. That's a refrigerator verse. That's one that we need to embrace. Everyone who tries to exalt himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, Jesus is not teaching false humility. Hey, I'm just going to kind of pretend to be humble and adorn myself with humility. He's also not trying to give you a gimmick. I want to be the CEO of my company, so what I'll do is I'll sit at the back of the room, and that guarantees me promotion because Jesus said it. He's also not teaching you slackerhood. God, did you see that Jesus said, like, I don't need to worry about being top of my class. (laughs) I just need to, like, take the seat at the back of the class and I'm good. That's not what Jesus is getting at either, okay? It's okay for you to to have a a certain humble ambition and a desire to do well in life. That's not what he's teaching teaching us here. But here's the leadership lesson number two that I I want you to download. If you want to be a leader, stop seeking positions and start seeking improvement. Instead of worrying about, oh, I want this seat over here. I want people to recognize me over here. I want this title over here. I want everybody to know my name. I want everybody to buy my book. Instead of recognizing, instead of seeking all those positions that are out there, seek improvement. Seek to do really well with what God has called you to do today. Seek to take that which He has brought into your life across your path right now, and you're going to be the absolute best. And what's in front of you. In my advanced age, I, I enjoy, y'all don't laugh at that, but uh, okay. In my advanced age, uh, one of the things that I enjoy doing is, is helping young ministers. Whenever I come across a, a person who's just entering into ministry, I try to carve out time to have coffee or lunch or whatever I can do to encourage them. And one of the reasons why is because I, I enjoy hanging around them. I like their zeal. They always have vision. They're always talking about what can be. They're ready to take on hell with a water gun. I mean, I I like these guys, and and so I enjoy talking to them. And one of the things, though, that you'll run into is that a lot of times they're they're starting ministry, and they think, well, I see this guy over here that has this big church, or I see this guy over here that has 20,000 listeners on his podcast, or this person over here that's written a book and it's sold a lot of copies and and how can I have that how I I want this this is what I want my end goal to be how how do I get there and I just want to say well, well let's start by going to school let's start by learning the bible that you're going to be teaching let's start by humbly teaching a few students and being faithful to do that let's start by helping people who have been devastated by a hurricane and going on a mission trip, playing the shepherd in Old Town Christmas and telling the Christmas story. Let's start by doing whatever needs to be done. The steeple's dirty at the church. Why don't you climb on the roof and wash it a little bit for us? I'm kidding about that part. 
But let's start by doing those small acts of service, by doing what is right in front of us and doing that really well. You want to be a leader? You want to influence people? You want to have impact? Start by doing the little things now and do them really well. In time, God will exalt you. Before you know it, uh, you'll be doing things and you'll be in positions that you never could imagine. But if that's your ultimate goal, if all you do is spend all your time chasing position or chasing prominence, you know what? You're probably going to be very, very frustrated along the way. And the longer you chase it, the more frustrated you will become because the further you get along the path of life, the less opportunities become available to you. Do what God has put in your life and do it really well. Live where you are. Live in the moment. Don't covet other people's lives or other people's success. God has blessed you with a wonderful life. There are blessings to be found all over the place if you simply look for them. Don't always be thinking about one day I will dot, dot, dot. How about today? How about today? Start using your life to impact people. Start using your life to influence people in positive, dynamic ways using what God has already brought across your path. And I think the principle is this. When you take what God has blessed you with today and you cultivate it and you're a good steward of that, God ultimately trusts you with more opportunities in the days to come. Well, he also said to the one, I'm in verse 12 now, he also said to the one who had invited him, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. Now, that verse kind of cracks me up a little bit, because if you read it in one way, it's like, whenever you're going to hold a lunch or dinner, make sure you don't invite the people that are close to you, because then you might have to go to their house for dinner too. (laughs) That's not really the context that Jesus is getting at here. Uh, In Jesus' day, people often saw a party or a meal as an opportunity to invite the right people to your party. And if you could invite the right people to your banquet, then you would get invited to theirs in the future. So Jesus says, On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind, and you will be blessed. The connection here in verse 13 is to the man that he healed earlier in the passage. And Jesus says, rather than being repaid, you'll be blessed because they can't repay you. They they don't have anything to give you. So you have to be blessed by something that is from above. Ultimately, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So Jesus says, invite the people that are hurting. Invite the people, care about the people that others are neglecting. You see, one of the problems in the world in which Jesus lived is that people were not seeking to build relationships. They were seeking to build reputation. Now, sadly, that often happens in a lot of churches. Rather than seeking to make disciples... Our goal becomes to try to build the organization or to build the reputation. As a church, our job, we exist to lead people, to worship, grow in, and serve God through lives changed by the power of the gospel. We've talked a lot about our discipleship strategy. 
Whenever you see WGSL, and we're going to be having some marketing materials for you to use in the days to come to kind of get the word out about the church. But when you see WGSL, what does it stand for? W is, talk to me now, W is worship, G is grow, S is serve, and L is, okay, now that you've heard that, try it one more time, okay? W is G, S, live. We are ultimately wanting to lead people to be disciples of Jesus Christ who are worshiping Him, growing in Him, serving Him, and living for Him. I can preach great sermons. Some of you say, well, I wish you would start. (laughs) Thanks, Izzy. I appreciate it. I, I can preach great sermons. We can have great events. We can be right. We can have sound doctrine, and really be right in what we believe. We can do all these things, but, but I promise you something. Uh, we, we can teach all those things and do all those things. This building isn't going anywhere. It's not going to move. If I say, hey, building, follow me, it's not going to follow me. No, no one has ever led a building or an organization. You lead people. Now, we have buildings, and we have organizations, and there's valid reasons for those. I'm thankful for the campus that we have. I'm thankful for the building that we have. You know what? This building is not the church. The people are the church. We need to take care of this building. When something's fixed, we need to try to, when something's broke, we need to fix it. We need to make sure that it's an attractive, comfortable place for people to come and worship. We need to do whatever we can to make sure that we utilize our campus to, to its, its maximum efficiency. We need to have an organization. There's a schedule. There's, there's different things that make up the organization of the church. But we have buildings and we have organizations to help us lead people. The Sabbath exists for the person, not the person for the Sabbath. We have these things in order to help us lead people. And here's leadership principle number three. The people are the task. The people are the task. The Pharisees thought enforcing the rules of the Sabbath was the task. They ultimately turned the Sabbath into an idol. But Jesus knew that ultimately the people were the task. And so he saw. He saw things and he saw people that others missed. He saw the hurting man. He saw the poor man, the crippled man, the blind man, those that others overlooked. And he saw them as the humble ones at table number one. The people that were willing to hear the message. The people that were willing to embrace the gospel. Jesus says, invite them. Put them at table number one because they need help. They need care. They're willing to listen. Jesus' heart was to lead people from the bondage of sin to the freedom of grace. And you know what? He desires to do that for you too. To lead you from the bondage of sin to the freedom of grace. I'll just say this. If God has put on His tool belt and gone to work in your life, and He's leading you to some type of spiritual decision, maybe uh, you've received Christ but you've never been baptized, maybe Um, you've never had that moment of true faith where you bent the knee and you placed your faith in Christ. Maybe God is leading you to be a part 
of this church. Maybe God is leading you to get out beyond your comfort zone and serve in some capacity. I want to be a pastor to you. I want to help you and guide you as to what it means to follow Christ. And if there's anything that I can ever do to pray for you, to encourage you, to help you in those spiritual decisions, please come and talk to me. I'm here during the time of commitments. It's always my joy to pray with people. I'm here after the services. We can also catch up with one another during the week and and grab a cup of coffee or have a conversation and talk about what is God doing in your life because you know what? Our Lord and Savior is still in the business of taking people from the bondage of sin to the freedom of grace. And everybody in this room, young or old, introvert, extrovert, big company, or just three kids in a a bedroom, whatever the size of the crowd, it doesn't matter. Everybody in this room is a leader. God has put you in a position where you can influence people. So please remember these three principles of leadership that we learn from our Lord before leading people to to what can be you must first understand what is. If you want to be a leader, stop seeking position and start seeking improvement. And number three, the people are the task. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we bow our heads and we come to a time of commitment. The band's going to come and they're going to lead us in singing. You can use this time to pray. You can come talk to me during this time. I'll be here at the front. However God leads you, I encourage you to respond. Many will probably use this time to sing hymns to the Lord, to sing forth to Him. Lord, we thank You for what we've seen in the Scripture today. Lord, we think about the people that are in our lives, that we have an opportunity to impact. And I pray that we will be godly influencers that lead people towards love, grace, and help people on the path of truth. Help us, Father, not to get wrapped up in the tentacles of selfishness. Help us, Lord, not to fall all over ourselves trying to be seen in the right light, trying to get a seat at table number one. But help us, Father, to be busy about what you've called us to, to do it well, to do it with honor and faithfulness, to serve you. Lord, we look forward to what you desire to do. Help us, Lord, to be good and faithful servants of what you've already called us to do. So when the next moment comes, we'll be ready. Thank you for this church. And I pray that we might truly be leaders of people, helping people follow you and be your disciples. Help us, Father, not to mistake the organization or the building for that which is eternal. Because buildings rise and fall, organization is constantly changing, but people last forever. So may we love them and care about them and use our lives in ways that last forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.